0: Well, <clears throat> one of my New Year's resolutions is to get out of this chair. Uh, they say that my foot is healing. It's, it's slow, but they knew that, so we're, we're okay. Uh, New Year's is first Sunday of, of 2013. New Year's is, is normally a time to evaluate the past, look forward to the future, kind of figure out where we are and where we want to be and how we're going to get there. That's kind of a standard New Year's thing. Now, by the time you get to uh, our age... Now, often, if you forget the New Year's resolutions things you know you're going to break them anyway. It doesn't matter. You don't even go down that road. But if you were to make a New Year's resolution this year, what would it have been? I want you to take just a moment to share with the person next to you. If you made a New Year's resolution, share with them what it is. And if you didn't, but you you would, what would that be? Go ahead. Take just a moment. Well, just... As it's, uh, I'm not going to ask you how many wait, how many no chocolate, I'm not going to go down those roads, Um, but uh, as it is good to ask ourselves these questions and be intentional about where we want to go in life, so it's good for us to ask this question regarding the church. Uh, Where are we? Where are we going? Where do we want to go? And how are we going to get there? Very important question. And no doubt that many of us, very opinionated people, we've got ideas, don't we? We, we know what needs to be happening. We know what, what programs we need to embrace or what values we need to hold to. We have some great ideas. We have some thoughts. We, we know what needs to happen. But before we, we ask or deal with those things, we've got to ask the question, what does Jesus want for his church? My understanding of scripture is that this is his church. This is not my church. It's not your church. It doesn't belong to past generations. This church does not belong to the greatest donors or the the most uh, passionate workers, the greatest prayer warriors. This church does not belong to the children's department or the seniors department or the missions committee or denomination. This is Jesus' church. Jesus died for his church. He rose to secure his church. He ever lives to do what? To intercede for... I mean, Jesus is obsessed with his church. He had a plan for his life when he was down here. He didn't just kind of live helter-skelter. He had a specific plan. He has a plan for his people and waiting for him to return, what they're supposed to be doing as well. And so we have to ask, what is his mission for the church? And once we determine that, we have to commit to it in unswerving fashion. We need to budget for it. We need to staff for it. We need to evaluate all ministries in the church regarding how they fulfill it. Everything else is secondary and we need to keep it in that secondary category and not allow it to move up. If I'm not mistaken, if this is Jesus' church, he's the authority, not me, not you, and not my great ideas. And you need to know where his mission and our great ideas clash, well, guess which needs to give? And where his mission and our tradition clashes, well, guess which needs to give? And where his tradition and our our thoughts clash, guess which needs to give? We do not have the luxury as his followers to say it's not going the way I like it it's not going according to my preferences therefore I'm out of here we have to ask the question is it going according to his mission that, that's, that's the only question all that it changes that, that needs to be in us we need to do that now it's not always easy though to see his church through his eyes we, church has fallen on some hard dimes we've got some bad press unfortunately much of it is deserved there have been a lot of scandals that rock the church. There have been a lot of uh, uh, overwork with the media on the church. There was a day, some of you all re- might remember it, when the church was actually respected in the society, in the media. It was, it was a, a recognized authority. Today, the church is mocked and it's ridiculed. Uh, many years ago... C.S. Lewis wrote a book called The Screwtape Letters. I don't know if you've ever read The Screwtape Letters. If you haven't, you need to read The Screwtape Letters. Fascinating book. And in the book, a senior demon, um, Uncle Screwtape, is writing letters to a junior demon, Wormwood, teaching him how to tempt and how to keep his patient from knowing God, those kind of things. And this is what he says with it. One, one of his, his essays in there, he says, one of our great... Screwtape is, is writing to Wormwood. He says, one of our great allies at present is the church itself. Do not misunderstand me. I do not mean the church as we see her, spread but through all time and space and rooted in eternity, terrible as an army with banners. That, I confess, is a spectacle which makes our boldest tempters uneasy. But unfortunately, it is quite invisible to these humans. All your patient sees is the half-finished sham gothic erection on the new building estate. When he goes inside, he sees the local grocer with rather an oily expression on his face bustling up to offer him one shiny little book containing a liturgy which neither of them understands and one shabby little book containing corrupt texts of a number of religious lyrics, mostly bad and in very small print. When he gets to his pew and looks around him, he sees just that selection of his neighbors whom he has hitherto avoided. You want to lean pretty heavily on those neighbors, make his mind flit to and fro between an expression like the body of Christ and the actual faces in the next pew. It matters very little, of course, what kind of people that next pew really contains. You may know one of them to be a great warrior on the enemy's side. No matter. Your patient, thanks to our father below, is a fool. Provided that any of those neighbors sing out of tune or have boots that squeak or double chins or odd clothes the patient will quite easily believe that their religion must therefore be somehow ridiculous. Satan takes the church very seriously. And I think it's interesting to ask the question, do I see the church as hell sees the church? Now, we need to ask the question, do we see it as Jesus sees it, of course? But do we see it as as hell sees the church? Very, very significant. So we want to take the next few weeks, to see the church through Christ's eyes, we want to see what His mission is, and we want to align, make sure that we're aligned personally and corporately with that. Now, uh, first question: We're going to ask several questions and, and answer them, hopefully, relatively quickly this morning. But first question is: Is what is the mission? What, what is the mission that he's given for his church? Well, if you look in Matthew 28, you find Jesus gets to a point point. he's getting ready to leave this earth. He's done. He's already died. He rose. He's getting ready to leave. He's called his apostles together. And he says, one last thing I want you to know. And he's going to impress this in their mind. You can't drop the ball on this one. You've got to understand this. This is what you have to live for. And he says, therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. Now, he doesn't say, it's important for us, he doesn't say go and make converts. You know, his number one uh, term for people who love him is not Christian, just so you know that. We ask ourselves sometimes, am I a Christian? Forget that question for a minute. It's disciple. And so a good question to ask is, am I a disciple? Well, a disciple, the word means Follower. And someone who followed Christ is someone who recognized that, that he was the authority. They were not. He was God. And then later on, they'd be living in the shadow of the cross, and they would submit their life to him. They would follow him, his teaching, his ideas, what he wants. That's a follower. That's a disciple. Ask yourself, am I a disciple? That's, that's really the bottom line. That's the, 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 the issue that will be a getting-into-heaven issue. That's the deal-changer. Well, so there's one command, really, one command, one verb, verbal phrase, go make disciples. And you got, what does that look like? How do you do that? Two participles. First participle, baptizing. Now, baptizing, follow with me on this because I'm going to be heard wrong, I know, but, but stay with me on this one. Baptizing in the book of Acts, as you move down the road a little bit, is synonymous with salvation. But baptism is not Salvation. We got that? We know that? Just because you've been baptized, don't think, okay, good, I'm in. The way this worked is you got to a place where, again, you recognize Jesus was the authority, that he really was God, that he really did rise from the dead, that he did it for for me. And and you stop and you submit your life to him and you say, he's going to be my rabbi, I'm going to follow him, I'm going to do what he says, I'm going to to listen to him. And the initiation process kind of into that was baptism. Baptism is simply an an outward, an, an external sign of an internal reality. But the New Testament, Acts, did not know of somebody who was a disciple who was not baptized. As soon as you, you submitted your life, you were baptized. And so it came to be known, are you baptized? That was synonymous with are you a disciple. So that is we would refer to that today as evangelism. Second participle uses is teaching. After the person comes to know Christ, they surrender their life to Christ. They, after they're born, they have to learn to walk. Now, it's important for us to know that both aspects are part of the picture. You can't have one... And, and, and to the extent of the other, not have the other. Now, a lot of churches, and this is good for us, because a lot of churches will fall into one of two camps. Some churches will be very evangelistic. Uh, baptisms are all they're going to count. And they want you to come forward and raise the hand and, and run the pew. and, and come. They, they want to know how many people they baptize, how many people cross the line. They might not do a whole lot on the follow-up. They might not do the teaching thing real well, but they do the baptism. That's what they're all about. Other churches... And this is where we have a danger because if it's an established church can lean on the teaching side. Teaching side is a little bit easier. It's, it's fun. To, I think it's fun to study the Word of God. It's much more comfortable to hang out with people who want to study the Word of God than to deal with some of the mess of people who aren't sure and they don't know and I'm afraid I don't have the right answers and all those kind of things. And so we have classes and institutes and, and schedules for prayer and schedules for Bible reading and, and all kinds of teaching. But unfortunately, the folk who are in the classes hardly ever really have seen anybody come to know Christ. At least they haven't been a part of it. We need to know this is not a problem to be solved. This is a tension to be navigated. And both aspects have to be there. We can't be in the teaching site and just kind of hope that this happens. Hope is a poor strategy. We have to be intentional about how it's going to look. And there's a reason why with this thing. In Matthew chapter 9, Jesus is looking at the crowds. And when Jesus is looking at the crowds, it says he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And we don't have all the time that we need to go back from Genesis all the way. This was God's plan. When he created Adam and Eve, what was the first thing they were doing? They were walking together. He was having relationship with them. But they decided they didn't want relationship with God. So they were kicked out of the garden out of relationship with God is what it came down to. So then God shows up on Abraham's doorpost. And this was not Abraham's idea. This was God's idea. And he says, hey, Abraham, Abraham, I got a plan. How about I be your God? Can I do that? And you be my people? I want to shepherd you. I want to protect you. I want to give you. Can, Can we do this? Abraham's not stupid. Okay, this is a good plan. All right, let's go for it. In time, it wasn't working out. There was sin that was involved. So God has this idea of the temple where sacrifice has to atone for sin. It's why the temple's called a house of prayer. So there could be relationships. So he could shepherd his people and be with his people. But earthly sacrifices could only cover stuff so long. That's why Jesus came again. Because people were harassed and helpless with, like sheep without a shepherd. Now, you and I, we see people through materialistic lenses sometimes. We see the Warren Buffetts and the Bill Gates and the wealthy tycoon folk. We see the haves and the have-nots. We see people in production. We see the people who can uh, nail it in athletes or, or, or music or whatever else. The people who, who have it and people who don't have it. We see uh, intelligentsia. We see the professors, the authorities of different things, and the rest of us ignoramuses. We, we, we see all kinds of different categories. But when Jesus sees people... And this is important. He sees people as sheep without a shepherd, harassed and helpless. And he has compassion for them. He has compassion for them. So, so the, the, the mission is to make disciples. It tells us straight out. Now, who does that include? Well, turn with me to, to Luke chapter 10. Because that includes all of us. This does not And listen, listen, little kids. If you've trusted Christ, you consider yourself a disciple. If you haven't figured it out yet, don't worry about it. But if you have, you need to know. This includes you. Seniors, you need to know. You can retire from work. You can retire from hobbies. You can retire from ministries. But you can't retire from the mission. He'll retire us one day. But, but if we're down here, the mission is for us. In Luke chapter 10, verse 1. It says, After this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them two by two ahead of him to every town and place where he was about to go. He told them, The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Numbers in the Bible are very important. Now, there are numbers that just specifically talk about a quantity. But often in the Hebrew mind, there's that aspect, but there's another aspect as well. There's a numerology. There's an understanding of what the numbers represent. Matter of fact, if you went back to chapter 9 of Luke 1, Jesus sends out the 12 apostles. Jesus' first mission, we, we know this, was to the, the lost sheep of the house of Israel. It was to Jewish people, 12 apostles representing the 12 tribes of Israel. But here, he sends out 72. Now, what does 72 mean? Well, if you were to go back to Genesis chapter 10, in Genesis 10, it's the table of nations. And Moses lists out the the nations that comprised the world at that time. How many nations? Now, in the Septuagint, anyone want to guess how many nations are listed in Genesis 10? 72. The Jewish folk would have understood what he was saying. Now, I'm not saying he sent the people here to the Gentiles, but they understood. This is foreshadowing because in time, Jesus is going to say, go into all the world. And then the book of Acts, the, the, the gospel, explodes into the Gentile world. And so this is, includes all there. But also look what he says. This is neat. Look what he says about the harvest. It's plentiful. Now, what do we think about the harvest? This, 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 this is cool stuff. I like this. Um, We think the reason why people aren't getting saved today, I'll tell you why they're not getting saved, is because we live in a post, post postmodern culture. Because the media has done too good of a job, you know, of brainwashing and people making them think that there's nothing real about Jesus. Because the church has blown it in so many ways that people have a bad taste about the, the church. That's that's why people aren't getting saved today. The real reason why people aren't getting saved is because the harvest is is pitiful. That's the reason. It's It just really doesn't exist. He wants us to go out there and maybe it's a command thing. It's an obedience issue. And so we'll go out and we'll be humiliated and we'll, it's a waste of time. But okay, we'll do it because he said do it. But the reason why things aren't happening is because the harvest is pitiful. But what's Jesus say about the harvest? He says, it's not pitiful, it's plentiful. He sees things, the people, the world, the way you and I might not see. You want to know why people aren't coming to know Him, according to here the text? It's not because the harvest is pitiful, but what's pitiful? The workers are pitiful. Now, maybe not their character, but the number of them. But the workers are few. Now, I understand there's that whole four nation and election and and God's sovereignty issue. And I'm I'm Calvinistic. I'm there. I got it figured out. Well, I'm there anyway. Um, However, humanly speaking, Jesus prays. And Jesus asks us to pray. Now, you know what's very interesting if I'm not mistaken, this is the only prayer request Jesus has ever offered up to us. Now, when i got a prayer request and something's really burning in my gut, you know what, I'll call people up and, would you pray for me on this thing? Would you really pray? I mean, really pray, really pray, because this is really important. This is the only time Jesus looks at us and says, I've got a prayer request. Would, would you pray for me on this? Because this is just eating my lunch. I'm burning with compassion for these. Would you pray for me, with me on this one? That they would send forth laborers, workers, the the harvest is plentiful. When I was, uh, years ago, youth pastor, a kid, uh, Lori, was very, very Roman Catholic gal, neat gal, very moral, very straight, but she knew she was a sinner. And she was scared to death that when she died, she was going to hell. She's going to, to purgatory for who knows how long. And so every night, she's running her her rosary, afraid, just in living in incredible fear. Please don't let me die right now. I know I'm not good enough. Please don't let me die right now. Please don't let me die right now. No, I'm not good enough. Please forgive me. Her brother, older brother, goes to University of Wisconsin. He comes to know Christ through a navigator's program and comes home and says, Lori, check out this verse. There is no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. If you know him, you know what? You don't have to be afraid. There's no condemnation. All your sins are done. And, and, and Lori, she was like on a scale. She was ready to accept Christ. She was an eye. She said, ah, that's incredible. Yes, I'm there. She was ready to pop. So many things. God is working in the harvest field. In people's hearts, we just don't see it. But they're ready. He's looking at them saying, plentiful, plentiful, plentiful. Where are the workers? where the workers is plentiful. So, so the mission is to make disciples. Who is this for, for all of us? Uh, the third, third question we're going to ask is, is uh, make sure I get this right. How urgent is this? It's a good question because the answer is very urgent. Look in verse 3. It says, Go, I am sending you out like lambs among wolves. Do not take a purse or a bag or sandals and do not greet anyone on the road. Now at first, we look at that and we go, ah, that's kind of rude, isn't it? I mean, if someone says hello, we just kind of don't even snub them and just walk on by them. We, we got to know that uh, a Hebrew, official Hebrew greeting was an ordeal. This was not just, hey, how you doing? And we walk on by. It was a, it was a major conversation. And what Jesus was sharing here is really important for us because this the normal thing to do was to greet the proper thing to do, was it was etiquette. It was tradition. You did it. It was expected of you. And here Jesus says, listen, if you're going to be about the mission, you're going to be involved with the mission, you need to know that you're going to have to choose between the good and the best. The hard thing is, and this is easy for me, we want to please people. We want to do nice things, good things, proper things. We want to do all these, these things that people expect of us. But if we do, we'll be wasting our life. That which is to drive my life, to drive your life, is the mission. We have to choose. Is my life going to be spent on niceties? Or is my life going to be spent on the mission? And sometimes when your life is committed to the mission, and I'm not talking about being obnoxious or whatever else... But we're going to offend somebody. We're going to hurt some people because we're going to be doing some things that they don't expect us to do, that, they, that, that are outside the, the ballpark of what they think is proper. It, it, it is very urgent. Let me give you an illustration. Let's say you've got an adult daughter. And she lives here in Erie. And she hasn't been to church in 20 years. Uh, She's got a couple of kids, but she thinks church is full of hypocrites, all they want is your money, they're for weak-minded people, she's not interested in church. But you ask her to come one Sunday, and you've been doing this for years, and and lo and behold, one Sunday she says, one time she says, yeah, I'll come with you this Sunday, I'll come Sunday, okay, yeah, I'll go to church. Well, you're kind of mind-blowing, right? And you're fasting like who knows what between then and and that Sunday, and she's going to meet you there. So she gets here a little bit before you, and she walks in with her kids. And she really doesn't know where she's supposed to go. She doesn't know where she's supposed to hang up her coat. She's, the signage maybe isn't real clear. She's kind of standing there and everyone, no one really gives her much attention so she has to ask some questions um, where should I go what should... finally she finds a place where she hangs up her coats she's got her kids but she's not sure what she's supposed to do with her kids so again she's asking some questions people are grunting and pointing to different places but she sees some kids going up the stairs okay well we'll follow them she goes up there but she's a little bit nervous because you've heard things of what happens to kids in churches sometimes I don't know if I like this but she goes and she's got a lot of trepidation and she's got to ask a lot of questions and she doesn't get a lot of answers but she finds the class that she thinks is the one for her kids So she kind of crosses her fingers and puts them in there And heads to the big room where all these people are walking in She has a paper stuck in her face She comes in, she's not sure where to sit down But she finds an aisle row Because visitors like aisle rows, I like aisle rows She sits down at the aisle row And she says, okay, now what's going to happen? Then, Well, some people come in behind her And obviously she sat in the wrong seat Because they look at her and they And they do all that kind of stuff And then they walk on by And she's not sure what that means But it's probably not very good The music starts and she doesn't know it is worship, she knows it is music, but it's not real good. And and then I come out to preach, and I'm gonna preach for you know ten reasons why we should all tithe. And I'm gonna preach for an extra 20 minutes on ten minutes why on ten reasons why we should all tithe. And she's going, man, what is it? Bores her to tears. She finally goes out out of this place, she finds her kids, they obviously have been crying the whole time. She she gets she leaves. Now, are you happy that your daughter came to church? Are you saying, Oh, well, yeah, she was in church, that's that's good. Another scenario, let's just say she came to church and as she walked in, there was a team of people who were kind of waiting for her. And, and somebody, a gal about her age, noticed and went forward and maybe she had a lanyard on, maybe she was official, but she said, she got to meet her a little bit. She said, hey, how about I show you where you hang up your coat? And then as she was talking, she found out about her kids and her kids' age and she said, "Stop by and said, hey, let me get you a cup of coffee, okay, I'll show you where, where they go. And she took them up to the child's area. And she, she showed them the different classrooms and she went over the philosophy and she knows that this is a first-time person. So she, said, she, she went over with them how important security is and what we have to do with our, our leaders and, and how the kid will never be left alone with a single leader. And she gives her a wristband and says, you need to know, we promise you, if your kid ever acts up, if there's ever a problem, if there's ever an issue, if they miss you terribly, we will find you and make sure that, that, that you're connected back with your kid. She comes in, the music starts, and let's forget the style for a second. But it's, 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 it's good. It's not distracting to her. All the AV stuff is working fine. Um, hopefully the, the sermon is of God's word. It doesn't water down God's word at all. But it's relevant to her life. She goes and she picks up her kids. Her kids are saying, Mom, Mom can we come back sometime? Wouldn't you want that experience for your child? And when what, what you came to me and said, hey, my kid's coming. My, my, my adult daughter's coming this week. Let's get back to that, 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 that scenario number two, man. It needs to be there. And if I was to say to you, you know what, we're not there yet. Give us some time, you know, we're working on it, a couple years maybe. Are you going to buy that? You're not going to buy it. You ought not to buy that. No, you know what, she may not be back. If we have that first experience, she won't be back. We, this is urgent. And that's what Jesus is saying. He's burning with compassion. He says this is urgent. Don't let the secondary things distract the call, the mission is to make disciples. It includes everybody. It's very urgent. And the question is, well, then what does this entail? Well, you need to know it entails sacrifice. It entails pain. It entails some some very uncomfortable issues. In chapter 10, still verse 3, it says, Go, I am sending you out like lambs among wolves. Lambs don't normally do real well in a battle with wolves. You know, that's not what I... So how's that for encouragement, right? But then in verse 17, this is interesting. He says, The 72 returned with joy and said, Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. He replied, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. I have given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions and to overcome all the power of the enemy. Nothing will harm you. However, do not rejoice that the spirits submit to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Now, we could unpack more of the whole satanic thing here, but this is, I think, the crux of it. In this, this context of going into the harvest fields, it's amazing to me how prominent Satan is. And what, I think what he's letting us know is this is not an issue of of PR. This is not an issue of we've got to make sure our technology is the sharpest. It's not an issue of, of making sure that we, our arguments are in line or we're, we're most witty. The reason why people aren't coming, it's not an issue be, that, that, that we just haven't done our work. Though we may not have, and I do, do strongly encourage that we are excellent on everything we do, obviously. But he's saying there's spiritual stuff going on here. This is an arena like nothing you've ever fought before. Paul recognizes the Second Corinthians chapter 4, verses 3 and 4. Paul's talking about his ministry, and he says this. He says, even if our gospel is veiled, he says it's veiled to those who are unbelieving, he says, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers. Paul recognizes, you know what, this is not an issue of they just need some logic, they just need some intelligence, they just need something clear. No, no, there's a spiritual thing going on. And when we decide to go into the harvest fields, we need to know. We, Satan is actually okay if we just hang out on the peripheral, do nice things. Uh, that's, that's fine. But once you get into the harvest field, you're putting hell on notice. Hell doesn't like to be put on notice. And you're saying, you know what? We're here. And our goal is to take some of your booty. And our goal is to steal that which is most precious to you. And hell knows that in the name of Jesus we can do such things. And so you've got to realize when we decide we're going into the harvest field, uh, things get messy. Satan rolls up his sleeves and says, all right, you want a war? All right, all right. Things are not clean. They're not real comfortable, and we have to be okay with that when we decide we want to go in the, into the, the harvest field. There's a sacrifice that's paid. There's, there's a price that has to be paid when we go that direction. So the mission is to make disciples. It includes everybody. It's very, very urgent. There's a price that has to be paid. And so you say, okay, well, well, how do we do this? Or what, what's the plan? I call the plan: uh, in, invest and invite. I think a little bit of uh, Isaiah six. You remember Isaiah six? Isaiah sees God in the temple. Huge vision thing. He sees God in the temple, and he's kind of blown away. And he doesn't see God as God being different necessarily than him in essence. But he sees God being different from him in character. Because he says, woe is me, I'm a man of unclean lips. He's standing in the presence of a thrice holy God. Well, God does something, blows his mind. He never even asked for it. God re- redeems him. And then God asks a very important question in earshot of Isaiah. And God says, who will I send? Who will go for me? Is this idea of, of wanting to send, of needing harvesters out there? That's God's deal. That's, it's been his deal for, for his church. Way back when? Who will I send? And Isaiah says, if he raises his hand and says, "Will I do? God, can you send me? Am I, I mean, I'm not my, can, can you work through me? And I wonder, you know, God looks at, at Erie. Jesus looks at Mill Creek, and Harbor Creek, and Northeast, and Fairview, and Girard. He looks at at McCain, and and Edinburgh, and and Titusville, and Lake City. All the places that we call home. And he looks at the people that that we know who are are in our works, who are at our schools, who are in our neighborhoods. And and you know what he does? He burns with compassion. He sees them like sheep without a shepherd, helpless and harassed. And he says, who will go for me? He's saying this in our presence. Who will I send? Would you be willing? This morning, just between you and God, to raise your hand and say, "Will you send me? Can I? Can I? Can I do this?" Says, remember, the issue is not where we, we might be believers and hanging out in the harvest field, but, but according to where there's a pitiful number who are actually harvesting. Will we make that our, our mission? And so we say, well, "Maybe okay, but I don't know what that's going to look like. I don't know. Well, let me share with you." A, a story. Gail's name was uh, Sandra. Sandra grew up in a home that was very secular, not not a, a, a Christian home by any way, shape, or form. Um, but when, when she was in second grade, neighbors noticed her, and the kids played together. And so the neighbor asked Sandra's parents, "Hey, listen, we go to Sunday school in church. Can could, could Sandra come with us? They got a neat neat child's thing at our church. Maybe she would like to come." So the parents said, uh, okay, you can go. So Sandra started going to church, Sunday school. And when she was in Sunday school, you know, she started to hear things. She heard all about Jesus. She heard about uh, there being a God who created her, who made her special. And she thought, you know, second grade kid, but she thought, oh, this makes sense to me. I like this. This is a good thing. And so she, she went home after hearing this, and she asked her mom and dad, what about, what about this God thing? And her mom and dad said, oh. Fairy tale. So don't pay any attention to that. You can go and give you Kool Aid and cookies and it's get you out of our hair. But you can go, but it's all fake. Don't pay any attention to it. But she went and she listened. And she knew what her parents said and she trusted her parents, loved her parents, but something in her heart was, 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 was ringing true. But then her parents moved. And they moved several states away. The Sunday school thing kind of fell out. It wasn't until fourth grade. Where or, or fourth grade, where a, a student in school like junior high, if I remember this right, uh, invited her to come to youth group in junior high. And so she started going to youth group. Actually, this was a boy that she liked, and the guy, guy invited her to youth group. He had the wits about that. She started listening to the message there. She saw other kids there. And while she was there and she heard these things, uh, her heart began to... It began to burn itself. It began, began to question again. Is this, is this true? Is this real? She started thinking about it more. She began um, questioning, having some serious, legitimate questions. And about her sophomore year in, in, in high school, her parents split. It was an ugly split. She ended up having to move back to Toledo with her mom and live with her grandparents, and she's very bitter. She's very hurt, so this whole God thing was out the window. She took on a life of, of partying, basically. She partied uh, through the rest of high school. She partied into college. About the time she was a senior in college, there was a knock on her sorority door one, one morning. It was some girls from Campus Crusade. And they said, can we talk? Well, no one else was around. She said, oh, okay, we can talk. She'd been having some trouble. So they talked for a while. They invited her out to a Campus Crusade meeting. She was clear to share with them her disbelief in God, but she thought, oh, maybe I'll go. Well, she went. And when she went... She heard a special speaker. She heard that which she had heard when she was a little girl. And and, and again, it began to ring true in her heart. She began to think about that and say, you know what? I wonder, could it be that there's something true about this? Well, again, it was the end of her senior year. She graduated. She went on. She got married. uh, Moved into a new neighborhood. Started the the baby thing, the family thing. Uh, Neighbor recognized they were new kind of took her under her wing, showed her the stores, went out for coffee with her, and in time invited her to the mops program at her church, Mothers of Preschoolers. She said, you know, I'm really not into church, but it may be an opportunity for me to meet more women and for some help with my kid, that would be a nice thing. So she went, and as she was there, she heard the gospel again. As she was there, she she got to meet other gals that weren't goofy, weren't crazy. Some of them had the same sort of story she had. But they knew something about God that she didn't know. And she started thinking again. Well, one night, Sandra invites her neighbor over and says, You know what? My husband and I just had this horrific fight. You need to know. Things are really shaky. I'm not sure where this is going to go. And the friend says, Listen, I've got to put it on the table with you. Right now, we have heard a lot of this kind of stuff, but the bottom line is this is what sin does. And this is why God sent Jesus. And you need to know, surrendering your life to him does not take the problems away or solve them like this, but it gives you someone to be with you. And so as she was sharing this stuff, was, Gal was under conviction. And she realized, you know what, there, there's something here. But I, I, don't, I don't know if I can release in my heart that night She pulls out her Bible. She's alone. She reads John 3. She reads John 4. She reads about how how Jesus reached out to the woman. He offered her grace and forgiveness. And as as she's reading, she's going, this is real. I know this is real. And as as her heart is under heavy conviction... She gets down on her knees, and she says, you know what, God? I'm yours. Thank you for dying for me. You know I'm not going to like this. You know, that's not... (laughs) You get in trouble with the fire marshal when you do that kind of thing. But let me ask you, who was it who led this girl to the Lord? Was it not the parents of that second grade girl who invited Sandra to Sunday school with her? Was it not this, 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 this kid who invited Sandra to youth group and the other kids in youth group who reached out to her? Was it not these, these, these girls from Campus Crusade who knocked on her door and had the, the courage to, to talk to her and invite her out? Was it not this neighbor who reached out or the people at Mops, the Mops table that reached out to this gal? Now we might hear this whole thing and say, oh, it was just her reading the Bible, change it. no, no. I would say all of them. We think that this is evangelism. You know what? I have got. Well, let's see if we can. Maybe I can't here. Sometimes evangelism doesn't work. There we go. Uh, we think that this is what I've got to do. I have got to pull the, the trigger, man. And unless the flame lights. Now you need to know we've got to get to the flame. Everything less than the flame is not salvific. We've got to get to the flame. But we need to know people are on a scale. People are not all nines, like my friend Lori, ready to go. They're at a one, and they have obstacles they have to overcome. And so as we pour into their heart, as we love them, as we go into the harvest field in our schools and our neighbors, as we pour into them, as we seek to be sensitive, as we seek to share when we can, we are building. We are preparing. Now, this is what we wanted to do. Uh, if, If you got your bulletins, would you turn to the notes page, sermon notes page? If you notice on the bottom left hand corner, it's my love list. For 2013, I'm guessing that you have people in your world who don't know Christ. And maybe they're people you've given up on. Maybe there's somebody you've had some conversation with. But there are people that you're wondering about whether or not they're harvestable. But they're in your world. Would you take just a second and list three of those people? I'm not going to ask you to do anything goofy with this, but would you, would you list three of those people that maybe are on your heart? You say, yeah, so-and-so, and so-and-so. And so. I don't know. I hope he's not going to ask me to have to go do anything goofy with this. I'm not. Just Just write those down. Now, can you imagine for just a second what might happen if this year you and I took those three names as a key harvest field. We sought to have Christ's compassion for them, to see them as he does, and we sincerely, genuinely prayed, Oh God, these people, would you send laborers into their harvest field? Please, Lord. Please, You said the harvest is plentiful. Would you please do this? And then we said, and if you can use me, if I can, would you send me? I don't know how that would look. Would you, can, you, can, you, can, you imagine, can you just imagine if all of us sincerely did this for a year? Would God not answer that? any of that at all? Might we see some folk here next year whose eternal destinies have been shifted and changed? Oh, man. I mean that, that, For 2013, we can spend our life on niceties. Or we can live our life for the mission that he has set up for his church that incorporates all of us, everybody, that is incredibly urgent, that will come with a price. It will come with some pain and sacrifice. But as we invest in the relationships, as we invite them, and then ultimately invite them to him, we'll see what he will do.